the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. What if you could spot opportunity and have the courage and discipline to take action? What if the secret to enriching your life is simply knowing how to push yourself? According to today's guest, Mel Robbins, it takes just five seconds to change your life. Mel is the creator of the five-second rule, an approach to life that she says can help you live, love, work, and speak with greater confidence and courage every day. Mel is a best-selling author, a social media influencer, and a sought-after motivational speaker. She is the author of The Five-Second Rule, Transform Your Life, Work, and Confidence with Everyday Courage. Welcome, Mel. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks, Joan. So, Mel, you're the creator of The Five-Second Rule, and this approach to life was the result of you experiencing some major challenges in your life. What was happening to you when you came up with this idea? Okay, Um, I'm going to tell you the story, but first I want to talk to everybody listening. I want you to pay attention to this conversation, and I want you to listen like your life depends upon it, because it does. I can tell you, not because what I'm about to share with you has changed my life, But I have the conviction in my voice because it is changing the lives of people around the world. It is being used by veterans organizations to treat PTSD. If you struggle with anxiety or your kids do, this is a conversation that I want you to pay close attention to. And I also want to talk to the cynics. I'm a very analytical and cynical person. And when you first hear what I'm about to share with you, that you can change your life in five seconds using this simple mind trick, you're going to think it's the stupidest thing you've ever heard in your entire life. Mm -hmm. Do not dismiss the profound nature of what Joan and I are about to talk about just because the idea is simple. Everything that we are about to share with you, it is free, it is backed by science, and it works for every person who tries it. And so to answer your question, Joan, I invented the five-second rule by mistake when I was struggling to get out of bed. And I was struggling to get out of bed because my husband and I were on the verge of bankruptcy. We were on the verge of divorce. Um, His failing restaurant business and my unemployment was taking our sanity, our marriage, like the whole thing down the drain with it. And I was simply struggling to do the smallest things like get up on time, not drink so much, exercise, be kind, look for a job. And um, one night I invented something that helped me make all the changes and I call it the five second rule. So why do you believe then, Mel, that we can change our life in five seconds? The reason why um, I believe that you can change your life in five seconds is because we live our lives inside a gap, Joan, and it's a gap that nobody's talking about. It's a gap between what's happening to you and your reaction to it. And that gap is about five seconds long. And most of us go through our days and things are happening all around us, whether it's things that our bosses say to us or bad news that we're getting or a health diagnosis or the way that somebody's treating us or maybe how you feel when you're looking at social media. And so all day long, things are happening that are outside of your control and you get triggered by it. And within five seconds flat, you start reacting to it. 
And those reactions are typically reactions that are not aligned with your values. They're not aligned with the outcome that, they, that you want. That when you're not paying attention, you make decisions like I was making decisions 10 years ago. Decisions based in procrastination, based in anxiety, based in frustration, based in overwhelm, based in depression. And then you wonder, well, why can I never seem to change? Why can't I make the money that I want to make? Why am I not happier? Why can't I lose the weight? And see, the reason why we can't is because knowing what you need to do, like getting up on time or not drinking so much, that's the easy part. The real challenge in life and the secret in life to getting anything that you've ever wanted to being happier, to be more present, to reach your health goals, to make more money, the secret is knowing how. How do you make yourself do the things that are irritating, that are scary, that are difficult, or that are hard. And how do you do it when you don't feel like it? Mm-hmm. Because I'll tell you what, John, every single morning, that alarm would go off. And I knew I should get up. And then that gap would open up. And it was almost like somebody had opened up a window and cold air would blow in. And what was blowing in was self-doubt and overwhelm and anxiety. And I'd lie there in bed like so many of you listening. Lie in bed morning and you think about your problems. And next thing you know, I'm reaching over and hitting the snooze button, even though I knew I needed to get up. And see, there's literally always going to be an excuse, always going to be an excuse inside that five-second gap that I'm talking about between knowing what to do and Mm -hmm. letting the excuses flood into your mind and stop you. So what happened for me, and this is just dumb luck, is that one night I was sitting in my living room and I was watching television and I was having one of those pep talks that we all have with ourselves. Mm -hmm. All right. Tomorrow, Joan, tomorrow I'm waking up on time. Tomorrow I'm going to make those cold calls. And then all of a sudden I looked at the television and there was a commercial and a rocket ship was flying across the stream. And I had this crazy idea. And this was the idea. What if I just launched myself out of bed in the morning like that rocket? What if I moved so fast, Joan, that my feet hit the floor before self-doubt hit my brain? Maybe if I just moved first, maybe I could beat all the things that were stopping me in my head. And so, look, I had had four Manhattans that night, so maybe it was the booze that gave me that idea because it sounds <laughs> kind of dumb when you hear it, right? right? For whatever reason, I'll never forget it, John. It was a Tuesday in February. That alarm went off, and nothing had changed in my life. I mean, we were still a week away from a bankruptcy proceeding. My husband of 22 years was sleeping on the couch. I was hungover. I was unemployed. I had no confidence, and that alarm went off, and I, I remembered. I said, I, I remembered. I got to get up, and then I could feel that gap open. And I could feel the excuses rolling in. And I could feel myself even thinking, well, what difference is it going to make? And then I did something I'd never done before. I started counting like NASA does to launch a rocket backwards. And I went five, four, three, two, one. And by the time I hit one, my feet were on the floor. And, you know, I was really startled. I was like, what? Five, four, three, two. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I went on with my day. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, the alarm went off. And I knew I should get up. And then that gap opened up, that five-second gap that we all struggle with. And I started to think. And the excuses started to roll in. And then I went five, four, three, two, one, and I'm up again. And so then I decided, well, maybe I should test this thing. And so I said, in any situation where I know what I should do, but I just don't feel like it, I don't want to. Let's count backwards and let's see what happens. So I walked into the kitchen. And you know that thing that happens with the people that you love where you see them and you just want to kill them? You know, mm-hmm. but that happens. <laughs> well, you know, my husband, my poor husband's standing there. And, you know, I just want to kill him because we're facing, you know, the restaurants have been disastrous. We're fighting like crazy. And it's so much easier to blame other people in your life, isn't it? Right. You know, to point the finger, it's your fault to get upset with them. The truth is, and I didn't know this at the time. Sure, I had read it in an inspirational quote or in somebody's book, but I didn't like know it in my body. The power's in you. You can't change other people, and it's not other people's fault. The power is in you, always. And the responsibility is in you. No matter what's happened to you, no matter what abuse you've suffered at the hands of other people, no matter what problems you're facing, the power is in you, and the responsibility to heal yourself is in you. So I see my husband, and I'm triggered. You know, I'm like about to yell at him, and I go, five, four, three, two, one. Because the truth is, I didn't want to get divorced. I loved this man and I still love this man more than anybody on the planet. I was scared. I didn't know what to do. And so I was triggered all day long. And so counting backwards, suddenly I've got the self-monitoring and the self-awareness to actually behave in a way that I wanted. Mm -hmm. I see the phone. I know I need a job, but who likes to network? Five, four, three, two, one. 
and I'm picking up the phone and calling. And I'll be darned if counting backwards five, four, three, two, one, and having this simple little tool didn't change everything in my life because it changed how I was making decisions and it gave me a tool, a tool that I could use to change the habits that I had, whether the habit was anxiety or the habit was procrastination or the habit was not going to the gym, I had the ability to close the gap. And so suddenly I was in control, probably for the first time in my entire life. And I never, and look, I I never intended to tell anybody about this, John. I mean, first of all, it sounds really dumb. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I didn't know why it worked. You said that it's based in science. What is it that happens in the brain when we implement this approach? Why does the act actually help you override bad patterns in your mind and create positive new habits, whether they're thinking habits or behavior habits? What's actually happening is the um, countdown method is a form of metacognition. It's also classified, since I know everybody listening is into this kind of stuff, if you're into habit research or if you're into neuroplasticity, you may have heard the term starting ritual. The starting ritual is um, a tool that triggers a different response in your brain to something that normally, you know, had a bad response. And so what happens is when you count backwards, what you're doing inside of the habit loops that get encoded in your basal ganglia is you are interrupting them and you're overriding the, the pattern that sabotages you and you are drawing your focus to your prefrontal cortex. And your prefrontal cortex, of course, is the part of the brain that's active on a functional MRI when you're learning new behavior, when you're acting with courage, when you're doing strategic thinking, when you are um, attacking your goals. And so basically, one night when I was drunk facing the worst moments of my life, I invented the most powerful cheat code that you can possibly have for your brain. And now it's saving lives around the world. I mean, we heard from somebody two days ago, Joan who used the five-second rule in Idaho to stop herself from wading into a river and killing herself after her 19-year-old overdosed. And so we hear from veterans around the world that it is an extraordinarily effective tool to be using to treat uh, post-traumatic stress disorder because the treatment is about response to triggers. And so if you can use the five-second rule to interrupt your automated response to triggers, it gives you the chance to reprogram your mind with new responses and to regain that sense of control. I've used the five-second rule to cure myself of a 22-year battle with anxiety. I took Zoloft for two decades, um, and when people started to write to us, I started to wonder, you know, I wonder if I could personally use this to override the way that my mind operates. And so I started by attacking my habit of worrying, And what I noticed once I overrided the habit of worrying and learned how to redirect my thoughts and activate my prefrontal cortex and drop in an anchor thought, um, I was stabilizing my body. And once I learned how to do that, wow, I went off the meds. And do you know, Joan, I have not had a panic attack, a bout of anxiety. Hell, I don't even worry about anything because I actually know that you can control a thousand percent what you think about. You can't control what's happening around you, but you can always choose what you think, and what you do next in response to it. And it is absolutely life-changing, and it's free. <laughs> now, what you're sharing with us, the stories that you're sharing, it's they're so powerful. How do you feel when people write to you and they give you these type of testimonials? I feel like God selected me to share something with the world. And the conviction that I have in my voice is due to these stories. And so I feel completely blessed. And, you know, the other thing is, is that I don't view myself as an expert. Like I, I've seen the list of people that you've had on your show and you've got people on that are experts. I feel like I'm the kind of person that really screwed up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I am not proud of the person that I was for the first 40 some years of my life. And I have figured out through luck, through sweat, through tears, through curiosity, some very simple tools that have insanely powerful results. And my gift is that I can take very complicated topics and I can make them very simple and I can make them very entertaining. And so my philosophy and the reason why the content is, is helping people is because I'm on a mission to bubble up these tools 
that can actually help you change and get control of your life. And there's so much noise out there and there's so many people talking about it, but there's very few people that talk about how, and that's what we all need to know. You know, we can read all the inspirational quotes you want on Instagram, but at the end of the day, you got to know how, Mm -hmm. how to change when you're alone, how to change when you don't believe in yourself, how to change when you don't feel like doing it. And that's where the heart of all my work is at. And, and by the way, it's what everybody struggles with. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how educated or uneducated you are. I don't care if your family's broken, if it's together. Every single one of us lives inside that gap between what's happening and how we respond. And when you realize that you can control how you respond, your life will change. The book is The Five-Second Rule, Transform Your Life, Work, and Confidence with Everyday Courage. If you'd like to get more information about Mel and her work, you can visit melrobbins.com. Mel, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Five, four, three, two, one. (laughs) You have the answers. You do. You know what to do. You know what to do. That's not the problem. The next time your instincts rise up, you're sitting in a meeting at work and there's something you want to say. Five, four, three, two, one and say it. That hard conversation that you're avoiding, 54321, pick up the phone. The fact that you're trying not to drink during the week, 54321, put down the damn bourbon and walk away from it. The fact that you need to get to the gym, 54321, and go. Literally, I want you to understand that you are one decision away from a totally different life. Mel, thank you so much for being here with us and for sharing your story and strategies that can help us make lasting change. As you said, living the life we want is as simple as 54321. So thank you for being here. Thank you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path. Personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, but only if you make a good impression. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills. To learn more, visit CYACYL.com slash media training. to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Odette Coronel, a coach who helps people create the life and relationships they want. She is here today to discuss adding spice to a relationship. Welcome, Odette. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. I'm excited to talk to you today. So, Odette, when people are married 10, 20, 30 plus years, Often you hear them complain about the spice is gone or they just don't look at each other the way they once did. Why do you think the flame often dies out in many marriages or long-term relationships? You know, Joan, this is a topic that is a really pressing concern for a lot of my coaching clients. And the first thing that I want to remind everyone is that it's not unusual for the flame to die out when you've been in a relationship with the same person for many years. It's a normal thing that many couples experience, and I want to reassure you that if you're in a loving, committed relationship, there's certainly hope for rekindling that flame. And, you know, there are a number of reasons why it happens, and every relationship is unique. But based on the experiences of my clients and my own research, I found that the change in the relationship is usually not the result of one big momentous event. The flame usually slowly dies out over time. It's as if little by little you stop fanning the flame. There could be a combination of different reasons that this happens, such as, you know, distress from mounting responsibilities, work pressure, children, household chores. Sometimes you experience chronic exhaustion, health problems, or physical conditions. Lack of privacy could be a factor, especially if you have little ones around. But, you know, basically you fall into the habit of not prioritizing the relationship, little by little. 
and you stop spending time together, just the two of you, there may be less physical intimacy, not only in the bedroom, but even snuggling, holding hands, kissing. You kind of stop treating each other with that same love and tenderness you had in the early days of the relationship. Eventually, you start to notice your partner's flaws more than you notice their positive attributes. Another interesting factor that may be at play is there's a term in behavioral psychology that is called uh, hedonic adaptation. And what it means is the idea that when we feel certain feelings of happiness, eventually we get used to whatever made us happy and return to our baseline level of happiness. So in theory, perhaps we get used to our partners and just become bored over time. The good news is that positive thoughts and new experiences, as well as fond memories, do not seem to be affected by hedonic adaptation. But if you stop having positive thoughts about your partner and stop having positive experiences with your partner, it could impact the marriage. You just mentioned a few of the reasons why we have problems. But what are some of the biggest problems that we encounter? Well, the biggest and most obvious problem that married couples encounter is in the bedroom. A lot of times they have less sex or sex less often, and sometimes they stop having sex altogether. Now, in a loving, committed, long-lasting relationship, feelings of safety, trust, and connection promote more intimacy and desire to express love in a sexual way. And all of the reasons that I mentioned before regarding why the flame dies out can certainly impact a couple's sex life. One or both partners may experience a decrease in desire, hormone changes, pain during intercourse, and other medical issues can contribute to this. And if you are experiencing any of those things, you should make an appointment with your medical doctor. But again, you know, things like lack of privacy, exhaustion, boredom can all lead to problems in the bedroom. Another reason that people, most often women, become self-conscious about their bodies. And as I mentioned before, stress and anxiety due to added pressures of family, work, and other responsibilities can be a huge factor. Now, let me explain how serious this is. When you feel stress, your body releases the hormone cortisol, which the body releases in an effort to protect you from perceived danger. It's referred to as the fight or flight hormone. Now, it makes sense that if you're frequently feeling stress and anxiety and your body is in a constant state of fight or flight, that you would not be feeling very sexy. But your body also has the ability to produce oxytocin, which is referred to as the love hormone. Oxytocin helps promote feelings of connection, safety, and trust. And it also helps to decrease the level of cortisol in our bodies. So I like to think of oxytocin as the antidote to cortisol and a natural remedy for stress. Now, we produce oxytocin and release it during orgasm, as well as when you're holding hands with your partner, cuddling together, dancing, and even when you're just thinking positive thoughts about your partner. The problem is that sometimes couples fall into a pattern of habitually experiencing more stress and anxiety than they are engaging in activities that help produce oxytocin and promote these feelings of connection, safety, and trust. When there's greater feelings of stress and anxiety in their relationship than there are feelings of connection, safety, and trust, it hinders your desire to be intimate. Odette, let's give people some hope now. (laughs) What can we do to reignite the spark? (laughs) There's definitely hope, Joan. But, you know, the first thing that you can do to reignite the spark in the relationship is to prioritize their relationship with yourself. Make sure that you're filling your own cup. Create a self-care routine. And remember to get enough sleep, eat right, exercise. Implement boundaries both at home and at work. And Work on increasing your self-confidence and self-esteem. You know, there's nothing sexier than confidence. And then next, focus your energy and attention on your marriage. Discuss with your partner ways that you can both decrease some of that stress and anxiety. Do all the things I mentioned earlier that promote the release of oxytocin. If it feels awkward at first, just take your time. Start by holding hands. Gradually work your way up to greater intimacy and connection. Combat hedonic adaptation by creating a habit of thinking more positive thoughts about your partner and creating new experiences together. So, for example, planned date nights or weekend getaways or just any activity that you can enjoy doing together. Reminiscing together is another great way to promote feelings of love and connection. You know, be willing to take that initiative and communicate with your partner how you're feeling. In a loving way, express your own needs and desires. Don't assume that he or she knows. And the thought he should know It's not useful. (laughs) Beware of should. And give your partner the safe space to express his or her needs as well. Remember that it's taken years for the flame in your marriage to slowly burn out. So be patient with yourself and with your spouse. Take small, consistent steps towards reconnecting. 
and celebrate each small win. The more that you engage in loving, positive, oxytocin-releasing activities, the more likely you are to create an inertia of loving, positive feelings and experiences that are going to lead to the slow-burning reigniting of your marital flame. Odette, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Odette and her work, you can visit odettecoronel.com. And as always, to hear more from Odette, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Odette. We'll be right back. Is there one thing you cannot do and you don't understand why? Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized, an award-winning professional organizing company serving clients who live with chronic disorganization. The term the impossible task was coined in 2018 to describe the overwhelm, guilt, shame, and complete inability to do something necessary that appears simple and otherwise easy to perform on its surface. The task could be anything like making a bed, doing dishes, paying a bill, or going food shopping. It could also be assigning a home for a category of items or putting something back where it belongs after using it. The longer the task goes undone, the more the pressure and desire to do it continue to build, as does the inability to actually get it done. The underlying cause of this lack of motivation can be varied. It is not laziness. How can someone manage the feeling of the impossible task? Let go of the guilt. Recognize the challenge as a symptom of an underlying condition rather than a character flaw. Break a task down to manageable pieces. Combine the task with something very enjoyable, like listening to music while vacuuming. Delegate the task to someone who loves to do it. Get support from a friend or a professional. If you're ready to address your impossible task and change your life by getting organized, call us at 201-613-2733 or visit our website at lgorganized.com. see the value in what you have? I recently made a virtual presentation to a group, and after I was done presenting, we had a discussion about interpersonal relationships. During our conversation, many people expressed concern about how easily they are being replaced. They felt like there was no value given to them and or a relationship by a friend, partner, family member, or employer. Hearing so many people express the same feeling made me start to wonder if we have become a society of disposables. It reminded me of an expression my mother used to say, out with the old and in with the new. This is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. It's time to see the value in what you have. It seems like just about every aspect of our life today is disposable. We throw away televisions, computers, clothing, phones, food, furniture, and so much more. By contrast, when I was growing up, we fixed everything. There was a neighborhood television repairman. We ate leftovers for dinner. We took our shoes to the local shoemaker for new heels. Baby diapers were cloth and appliances were kept until they could no longer be repaired. We drove the same car until it died on the road and marriages lasted until death do us part. While it is true that we have more conveniences and opportunities than our parents and grandparents, I believe our ancestors had something that many of us lack the ability to attach to and appreciate what they had. Today, we want immediate gratification. If it's broken, an old model, or not working the way we want, we simply throw it out and replace it with something new, something shiny and upgraded. Is it possible that we are carrying our new disposable mentality into our relationships? How many people do you know that cut off contact with someone with whom they had a disagreement? They end the relationship and find someone new to fill the void. How many marriages suffer from infidelity because of boredom or not having a particular need met? One spouse moves on to someone new and creates a new family, often breaking ties with their old partner and even their children. How many employers replace or demote an employee for a minor infraction without giving that person a second chance? They hire a replacement. If any of these scenarios sound familiar to you, and I know they do to me, Perhaps it's time to examine how we interact with others. Are we looking for a quick fix? Would we be willing to cut someone out of our life because we are angry? Are we considering replacing a spouse or have already done so before exploring every avenue to repair the relationship? Would we fire an employee without giving it a second thought? If you believe you may have adopted a disposable mentality, Now's the time to make a change. Start nurturing your relationships. Put in the time and do the necessary work. Nothing worth having comes easily. Appreciate and value what you have, material items and relationships, and stop keeping an open eye looking for something better. 
empathize with others before taking action. Repair something before tossing it in the trash. If you feel like someone who has been replaced, remember, we can't change or control other people and how they behave, but we can change our behavior. We can change the way we respond and the way we treat others. And little by little, perhaps, our treatment of others may just start a movement in a more positive direction. Who knows? One day, we may learn to treasure the old and forget the new. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiring tips, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. According to our next guest, Sarah Cannell, recent reports show women-owned businesses are the highest contributors and creators of new jobs in 2022. In her new book, The Science of Getting Rich for Women, Sarah shares how she went from struggling to make $20,000 per year to earning a multi-seven-figure-per-year business. Sarah is a best-selling author and founder of Thought Leader Academy, where she helps coaches, writers, and entrepreneurs become best-selling authors and in-demand speakers. She has been featured on The Oprah Winfrey Show, Good Morning America, The View, Fox, and TEDx. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Forbes, Good Housekeeping, and Parenting. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Sarah, your new book is entitled The Science of Getting Rich for Women. How did you get started doing this type of work? Yes, well, I had no intention of writing a money book. So this is a, as I call it a surprise baby for any of you writers out there that you, you know, suddenly uh, a, a new book swoops in. And um, I, I write a lot on personal growth, thought leadership, the power of story, um, all kinds of other related topics to thought leadership. However, um, what happened is that I read that statistic uh, at the end of 2021. It was it was around Thanksgiving, and the study came out from Oxfam that said women had lost this 800 billion. I thought that had to be a typo, so I went and looked it up, and it was in fact accurate. That was billion, not million, which would have been bad enough. And I really, um, I don't know, something came over me and I started thinking about my own journey and what I teach in our Thought Leader Academy, which is not only how people can write the best-selling book and get out speaking and TEDx and these wonderful things, but how to turn that mission into also um, a, a, a mission that contributes to you and your family and your lifestyle that you get to be a prosperous writer, not a starving artist, right? A prosperous thought leader or healer or coach instead of um, struggling. And and that mission is so important to me because I had really disempowered myself as a woman and, and, and a human being around money thinking that um, I, I didn't know how to earn it. I didn't deserve it. I wasn't capable. All the things that we can kind of make up. And I just felt this, um, I felt compelled. I'll use that word. I felt compelled to bring forth what had helped me break through all those inner and outer glass ceilings. Mm-hmm. And I've been helping my clients in the last few years and put that together in a book to help women make a comeback. So tell us a little bit more about what it was that you did. You were struggling to earn $20,000 a year. How do you turn that into a seven-figure income? It's something we all try to do. So what did you do and what are we doing wrong? Yeah, well, and and definitely none of us are doing anything wrong. If we are doing anything wrong, it's pathologizing ourselves and beating ourselves up like I did. I would walk into my accountant's office, um, you know, at the end of the year, then, you know, it became virtual. And it was a day filled with shame. I, I I felt... horrible because he would say, wow, you know, you really don't make any money or you're not going to have to pay much taxes. And it was just, I felt so disconnected because I knew that I was a a, a smart person, a resourceful person, a hardworking person, and I couldn't make anything happen in the realm of finances. I was doing work that I felt called to do and on purpose to do. I was getting results with people. So one of the things that I, if I, you know, if I was going to say, I would love us all to not tell ourselves we're bad or wrong in any way. But one of the mistakes that I was making is thinking that I could figure it out on my own. I really did. I thought, you know, I went to college. I, I, you know, I'm a smart enough person. I should be able, right, to figure out how to um, attract clients or uh, create a program or market things. And and that just wasn't true. I didn't have any entrepreneurs in my family. People have very traditional jobs in the government or doctors, whatever. And um, 
my family thinks entrepreneurship, sometimes I feel like they think it uh, means unemployed, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, that there's a, a correlation. So one of the mistakes was, was trying to do it on my own. And what changed almost everything was um, I kind of joke in the book calling uh, like the song in Hamilton, getting in the room where it happens. And I will not torture any of you listeners by singing it. But um, if, if you know that song in that particular musical, the idea is that there are people out there who are doing what we want to do, whether it's earning a million dollars a year or founding a philanthropic organization or writing a New York Times bestseller. There are people who are doing what we want to do. They've done it. And success leaves clues. So the antidote to this doing it on my own was starting to read about, learn about what are people who are doing what I want to do, being successful writers and thought leaders, what are they doing? And one of the things they were doing is they had mentors or they had coaches or they were in some kind of a community where they were receiving mentorship and, and inspiration and, you know, other people kind of cheering them along, accountability. So that was that was one really big piece. And then I think a huge inner mindset piece that I do work on every day and work with my clients on every day is truly looking at our unconscious beliefs. I have an equation in the book that says, to have this rich life or whatever that means for any individual person. If you want to have a multi-million dollar year business, the easiest way to find out why we don't have it is to write down all the reasons and fears that we have why it won't happen. And that list, that list is what's standing in the way of each of us earning and receiving that financial abundance that we desire. Because we might have been told we're bad with money or that pursuing money in my family, I felt like it was, um, we were raised in a religion that I felt any interest in financial things, material things was sinful, mm-hmm. you know? So I had really big resistant. I was saying, I want to, you know, be a contributor and earn money in my business. But I had all these beliefs that, that caring about money was bad, that, that it was unspiritual, that, um, I didn't deserve it. I also had trauma and something I write about in the book and Joan, I don't know if you find this with people, but so many, um, so many women that I coach, and this was true for me, have let traumatic things that happen in their childhood or young adulthood limit their ability to earn. And what I mean by that is like I was uh, sexually assaulted as a child, and it's unfortunately something that, you know, I know is very, you know, it's certainly not unique. Many of us have had an experience like that. And the problem is that not only does that create all kinds of, you know, challenges and, and pain and uh, work to do on all levels, but I didn't ever look at the correlation between earning. And there was just this message inside that I I wasn't clear until I did the work I take people through in the book, which was, I believed that I was a bad person and deserved nothing good. I mean, what a horrible thing for a child to take. I was eight years old. You know, the the blame did not lay with me, but I took it on. Like this thing happened and it must've been my fault. And so I'm, I'm worthless. I'm defective. And when that narrative is running unconsciously, it is a money blocker. And, and I'm really fascinated, um, and I'm doing my own research now on the correlation between trauma and earning. And what I'm finding so far is that there's a huge correlation. Trauma is one issue, but anyone who has any type of self-esteem issue or feeling mm. that you know she's not worthy, that is absolutely yeah. going to be a block. But the problem is we don't even know that we think that way. Exactly. It's it's happening below the surface so much. I didn't. If someone asked me when I was thirty, and said, "Do you feel unworthy of anything good in your life?" I was like, "No. What are you talking about?" But I did. I really did. And so we devoted a whole section of the book. I brought in four female neuroscientists because I'm very interested in the way the brain and subconscious mind play into um, wealth and abundance. And we had you know these women come in who practice different modalities that help people shift those negative unconscious beliefs and kind of reprogram for abundance and worthiness and and really um, go through the work because the great part is everything can be revised, whether it's a self-esteem issue that happened because of, you know, it could be anything. You know, we were, we were called stupid or we were told something about our appearance wasn't right or we experienced racism. There's so many things that can play in on that unconscious level to us thinking we don't deserve it, we can't have it. And the great part is that everything's revisable. And we get to go into the blueprint and revise those beliefs. And when that happens, you put the right strategies with a positive mindset and you're truly unstoppable. That's my experience. I see people in my practice who are absolutely stuck like I was and they are now earning beyond what they ever thought possible. And it doesn't feel hard. 
that's the other exciting part. It's not about hustle and struggle. And in the science of getting rich for women, we are not about hustle, right? Mm -hmm. It's about, it's more about aligning our mindset with strategic actions that are um, honoring of our time and our well-being, and then and then letting that abundance unfold. And it really does. So don't go it alone. Uncover subconscious beliefs. What are a few other things that we should be doing that will make a big difference? Yeah. So uncovering the beliefs is, is a re- really good first step and then making sure to release them. So I share um, four practices in the book that I love, including uh, EFT, which is emotional freedom technique, hypnosis. There's lots of lots and lots of ways, but making sure we're kind of um, like we brush our teeth or being hygienic you know, about our beliefs around, around money and, and ourselves and our worth. And then once we release them, then um, I really love this. Uh, I think of it like a game. Um, and identifying what the new vision have for yourself. Let's say someone is listening and says, I want to do, I want to make, I want to be a million dollar a year um, thought leader. And so from, from that moment forward, every day in the morning saying, you know, not what do I feel like doing? What do I uh, think is possible for me? But instead stepping into that new identity, that new vision and saying, what does the seven figure a year thought leader do next? What does she do today? And this is a neuro-linguistic programming technique, honestly. I think it comes originally from that tradition, but we don't have to label it as anything. It simply allows us, it goes back to the idea that to have a new result, we get to be a new way. And being the new way, because the me struggling to make 20000 a year is going to make very different decisions on a given day than the seven-figure CEO. So even last year, which was our first, you know, seven-figure plus year, I just woke up every day and said, what does the seven-figure CEO do today? And that meant hiring more people, which felt really scary because I felt, can I afford it? Will I be able to, you know, grow the business and pay for this? It meant, um, it meant reaching out to people to create powerful partnerships, but the the person who felt unworthy would never be able to send an email to an influencer or um, a, an author I thought was famous or something and say, hey, I'd love to partner with you on an event or I'd love to promote your book. Would you be open to sharing about mine? I wouldn't do those things as that struggling writer, but as a seven-figure CEO and thought leader, I would say, yeah, I would send this pitch. I would um, talk to companies about sponsoring my book tour. I would, and then I would just act as if and just that kind of, you know, fake it until you feel it idea and, and say, I'm going to just pretend that I have the confidence. And I love Mel Robbins, who I know is, is sharing and has shared on your show before, Joan. She talks about, you know, confidence is not a feeling. It is a skill acquired through action. And that's been such a game changer and is part of the science of getting rich for women, I believe, because we don't have to wait to feel confident. In fact, we probably shouldn't right. <laughs> wait to feel confident because confidence comes as a result, not before. And we wish it would. It would be much easier. But I think the you know, then after we've released the beliefs, asking, what does this version of me what does this version of me do today? What are the three things? And then just start doing those three things because suddenly new possibilities, that one decision opens up an entire new reality, like sliding doors. You know, your decision to wake up tomorrow and say, I'm a seven-figure CEO, what do I do today? Opens up an infinite array of new opportunities that weren't available when we're going, oh, I'm struggling, there's not enough, I don't think I'm good enough. And we can fake it. That's the best part. This works even if you don't believe it. So Sarah, we're talking about the work that we do on the inside, but there are some very real realities of what's taking place out there, Mm -hmm. you know, a pandemic, um, financial instability. So is there still hope for making these types of achievements when we're facing all of that? It absolutely is. That's the most exciting piece that our success and breakthrough and growth in this area is actually independent of external circumstances. It's not ineffected by external circumstances, but it can happen independently. What I mean by that is, you know, I'm one of 25 women that I feature in this book and interviewed who created the millions, most of us, during the pandemic, which is really extraordinary when you think about women losing all this, right? But women are also, as you said at the very beginning, the ones who are contributing and creating the most new jobs and economic growth. That's that's what the new research is showing, which is really tremendous. And so what it means to be independent means that we don't have to let um, what's happening in the world and the economy dictate the ability for us to have a big financial breakthrough. How do we do that differently? 
It's the inner work, like we've discussed, but also it's taking bold actions. And I remember during the 2008 recession watching some dumb, like, house flipping show, you know, one of these, like, I don't know, it was some show about people flipping houses. And the thing I never forgot was one of these gentlemen who was featured in the show said in every recession or every economic decline or every challenge, there are people who thrive. And there are opportunities. That, and, I, and there's opportunities. And I and I said to myself, I said, you know, Sarah, what you need to do is become a person who is that. And I didn't know how to do it. I was like, well, what is what would I do? I didn't know how to do it yet. But I think it is a decision. Our decisions determine our destiny. So if every one of us decides, no matter what's happening in the pandemic, I'm going to decide to be someone who's going to thrive and have a breakthrough now. That energy itself will start to, again, get our creative mind going, will start attracting to us, not by some woo-woo magic, but just because we're open. You know, we're thinking in new ways. And then I, I am a big action taker. I'm not one of these mindset people who's like, you can just think about your vision and it happens. I believe we absolutely match that then. And the science of getting rich room in the third part of the work is, is doing. It's the action. And so that looks like I'm a big fan of doing power 100s. I'll share this super briefly. But that means, let's say um, someone wants a literary agent for their book. Instead of sending it like I used to, three people getting rejected and then thinking my book is terrible. That was what I used to do. Um, terrible, terrible uh, strategy. Instead, say, I'm going to reach out to 100 literary agents. I'm going to reach out to, I'm just going to plan on it. I'm going to plan. I'm not going to make a story about it. I'm not going to look at rejections. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to focus on action, not outcome. And when we get into that momentum and that energy, this can be true for pitching a TEDx talk. It can be true for reaching out to investors for a company. It can be true for reaching out to clients that you want to work with you. In our company, we focus on plan for 100. Just plan on it. Then you don't even, you don't have time to freak out about one little rejection or keep checking your phone. You've got 100 pitches or meetings to set up or, you know, uh, queries to send out. And, and by getting into that momentum and that action, again, there's, there's a magnetism that sort, of, that sort of gets evoked. And in my experience, people that are willing to get into that 100 action, it doesn't have to literally be 100 every time, but by the time you get to 100 of something, you've created results. You just use, I mean, it's very, very rare I had, you know, that someone hasn't created a result in whatever that goal is with 100 actions. And you'll also create confidence, like we already talked about. You'll create momentum and, and new opportunities will show up. So I feel completely optimistic with what I'm seeing with clients and, and in our business with what, um, what can happen right now, not when we're done with the pandemic or in five years now. The book is The Science of Getting Rich for Women. If you'd like to learn more about Sarah and her work, you can visit sarahcannell.com. Sarah, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? Your decisions determine your destiny. So today, let's decide to have the most powerful financial breakthrough that we've ever had individually and collectively. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. It has been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Did you know that over time, high blood sugar levels can damage the nerves, especially those in the feet? Diabetic neuropathy is not one condition, but a group of conditions that can cause damage to the feet due to diabetes. Hi, I am Dr. Anand Joshi, dietarist practicing in Woodland Park, New Jersey at Advanced Foot Care of NJ LLC. In addition to high sugar levels, other factors that can worsen nerve damage include smoking, alcoholism, or a history of diabetic neuropathy in the family. Symptoms of diabetic neuropathy include numbness, tingling, and pain in the feet. This can contribute to a greater risk of a person experiencing cuts or injuries to the feet due to lack of feeling. It's important to maintain good health and good blood sugar control in order to treat diabetic neuropathy. While a doctor cannot reverse nerve damage, he or she can recommend treatments to prevent it from worsening. Person with diabetes should go for regular foot exams to prevent complications such as infections or amputation. If you'd like more information or to schedule an appointment, please visit our website, footpainnj.com. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life book club, created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. It's time for To Your Health. Joining us today is Dr. Jeffrey Weber, who's with the Laura and Isaac Perlmutter Cancer Center. 
Dr. Weber is here today to discuss melanoma. Dr. Weber, according to the American Cancer Society, an estimated 87,000 new cases of melanoma were diagnosed in the United States last year, and approximately 9,700 people died from the disease. What is melanoma, and whom does it affect? Melanoma is a cancer of the pigment cells or melanocytes that live in our skin. They tend to cluster at the junction between the inner inner and the outer skin, which is the dermis and the epidermis. And if they become transformed or abnormal and grow out of control, they can then invade. And if you get to them early and remove them when they're in the skin only, you can cure the patient. But if it spreads within the skin, deeply into the skin, or to distant organs, those patients may die of metastatic melanoma. And the patients most at risk are those who have pale complexions, a lot of freckles, especially those with a lot of abnormal freckles, and those with blonde hair, red hair, blue eyes, green eyes, who have been exposed to the sun or tanning salons. So most melanomas are probably due to UV exposure, that is the sun and the tanning salons. Some of them are genetically predisposed whether you're in the sun or not, but most of them are related to UV light. Is melanoma more dangerous than other skin cancers? That is correct. Most cancers of the skin in the United States and around the world are so-called basal and squamous cancers. You find them, you remove them, they're usually cured. The likelihood that they would spread percentage-wise would be very low, although that happens. It just doesn't happen often. Doctor, what are symptoms of melanoma? People should look in the skin at their moles, and if they change and grow in size, become differentiated in color, if they become shaggy in their borders, if they're asymmetric, if they get raised or bleed, that's when you get worried and you have to go to the dermatologist for a biopsy. No question. Doctor, thank you so much for being here. If you'd like to get more information, you can visit curemelanoma.org. joining us, I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.